This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. This letter is unique. There's a part two which was added on. It's, it's written by the Alter Rebbe. This was added on to this letter by the Rebbe Roshab, the fifth Rebbe. So the theme of the letter that we learned so far is the idea that a wise man is greater than a prophet. Chacham, a wisdom is greater than prophecy. And this is based on the verse that Hashem wraps his light like a dress. So you have the light, which is the inner, and then you have the garment, which contains the light. So too, you have the revealed part, the clothes, the garment, that's what's revealed, what's able to be revealed, that's what you're able to see. A person doesn't walk out naked, he comes in his garment, and that's what you're able to see. That's visible, that's what's able to be revealed, the garment, which is the surface. What's inside, contained inside, that's the light that remains concealed and that cannot be revealed. And that's the differences between prophecy. Prophecy means a revelation. What could be revealed? Only the external could be revealed. So wisdom is greater than prophecy. And the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe was born... At the Briz, his father, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Tzamech Tzedek, named his son Shemuel. So one of his sons asked him, he says, who is it named after? We don't have a Shemuel in the family. He said, maybe. He named him after Shemuel Hanavi, Shemuel the prophet, Samuel the prophet. He says, No. I named him after Samuel Shmuel, the water carrier. In a certain city, a water carrier, obviously was one of the hidden tzaddikim, hidden writers one. And he said, Chacham Adaf Minavi, the wise one is superior to the prophet. So the difference is, the prophet prophesizes the future. A Rebbe makes the future. <laughs> creates the future. It's a huge difference. As great as a prophet is, the prophet can prophesize what's going to happen in the future. But who creates the future? Who makes the future? That's greater than a prophet. So, prophecy is what could be revealed. The inner structure of the universe. And if you know the innermost structure of the universe, the metaphysical rules and laws of the universe, if you know the metaphysical structure of the universe, the divine world of Atsilas, if that's revealed to you, then you know the, meta, the, fun, the structure of the whole world. And, the, and therefore you're able to see the future. It's a godly revelation. Astounding revelation. It's 
astonishing miracles. But with wisdom, you can change. Because as long as you're stuck within the framework of the universe, even if it's the divine framework of the universe, it's beyond the spiritual framework of the universe. Nevertheless, he's still stuck within the framework of the universe. There are rules, there are laws. To achieve a real core change, you have to go beyond the framework of the universe. And that's the inner aspect, the inner, the light, the inner aspect of Chachma, which is unified with Hashem, who's infinite. So when you're not defined by the universe, you can completely change the universe. When you're completely beyond the universe, then you can change the universe. As long as you're defined by the universe, even if it's the source and the ultimate root and source of the universe, and it's a divine root and source, nevertheless, the world is a manifestation of that divine root and source, and therefore, in a way, you're stuck. You can't really affect a core change. But once you are no longer defined by the universe and you define yourself, reality is defined by Hashem, who is undefined and unlimited, then you can change the whole universe. And that's the inner light of the Torah. That's through Hasidus, which is the core and essence of the Torah. And that's the power of the Tanya and the power of the Rabbeim, starting with the Baal The ability to completely transform and change the universe. So it's only when you have the garment together with the light, when you have the Torah and the mitzvah, the revelation, the revealed part of the Torah, but together with the light, the infinite light, the inner wisdom, and then you're able to completely revolutionize and change you. The Arizal was a revolutionary. Abishimim Bayechayi was a revolutionary, revolutionized Jewish life. The Arizal is unique in Jewish history. That everyone claims the Ari. There's no opposition. The Misnagdim claimed the Ari, the Hasidim claimed the Ari. The Goyna Vilna used to spend most of his time studying the Kabbalah. The Kabbalah of the Ari. He captured the Jewish world in his very brief life, short life. The Kabbalah Dari completely revolutionized and grabbed the imagination of the Jewish people across the board, all walks. Because with his wisdom, he tapped into, wisdom is greater than prophecy. With his wisdom, he tapped into much higher levels than the structure of the universe, which is the revealed part, which is the external the garment. He tapped into the light, the infinite, and therefore he created a revolution. And that was just a taste of the revolution that the Baal created, revealing to us this light. We can access this light, that this infinite light is accessible and present. There's so much energy stored in this world, all around us, within us, infinite energy it's compact it's pressed it's there dynamic vibrant if only we can tap into it and access it we can change the world the Alter Rebbe 
Abashem to taught us that that light is there, and Al Rebbe taught us how to access it by the Tanya, which is accessible to each and every one of us through studying the Tanya and accessing it through our Chabad, our mind, understanding and absorbing it, internalizing it. We, we have the ability to release all this powerful, powerful energy, and we can change the world. And this is what brings Mashiach. This is the mandate of the Balshemtiv and the mandate of the Hasidus in general, specifically the mandate of the Alter Rebbe of Hasidus Chabad to actualize, to bring Mashiach by spreading the wellsprings of Hasidus, the light of the Torah, the innermost aspect of the Torah, the secrets of secrets. And this is the wisdom. That's why the Tzamot said that said the wise man is greater than the prophet. The Rebbe Marash is not named after Shmuel Hanavi. He's named after Shmuel, the water carrier. Hidden Sadiq. Because Chacham Adaf Minavi, the wise man is greater than And that's what he's going to explain in this part two of the Yigevs. The sequel. These sequels are, are more exciting than the original. <laughs> he explains the idea of letters. Letters is the part that's revealed. We reveal, we speak, we communicate, we think in words. Words come from the word asa, it reveals, it brings out. So words, you have the words, and then you have the light that's contained within the words. So words themselves could be very rigid fixed, defined. But when you get to the light that's within the word, then it's flexible. You can change the words, you can come up with new words, you can do angles. I can explain it this way and the other way. And, and that's the difference between the teacher and the student. A student is very much stuck up in the words. He's stuck in the words. He can't get past the words. He can receive what his teacher taught him, and he repeats it and receives it, and it can. Re- but he's really the words are like stuck. He's stuck within the words. He can't really, because he hasn't really penetrated to the core and essence that are beyond the words. He can't think like his teacher. Doesn't have that flexibility. Doesn't have that range. So he can be smart enough that he can receive the teachings of his teacher, the words. He can repeat it even, even understands it. But his range is very limited because he's confined by those words. So those words for him are very rich. But if you're able to get inside the word, the teacher who's not stuck by these words, because he came up with these words in the first place, and the teacher has the raw idea, the raw concept, that's really beyond words. So he can express it in these words, and he can express it in other words. And he can say it in so many different words. That's why you find in the Rishonim, the commentaries in the Talmud, you can have different Rishonim express the same idea, but each one in their own way, in their own different angle, a different approach. The same concept. The concept is the same, but a completely different angle, a completely different viewpoint, a completely different vantage point. There's that flexibility. Because once you get to the to the raw, the internal, then you're not limited. And the same is with this world. This world 
this universe that Hashem created, the structure that Hashem made, everything is structured. And the laws of, bio, laws, laws of science, the laws of biology, the laws of... Everything is structured to the metaphysical law. So it's very rigid. Like science, the rules. It doesn't change. It's very fixed and very rigid. Inflexible. Because that's how when the world is already formed, in words. So in a way, the world is stuck, defined, and limited to its definition. But if you're able to go beyond the words, and you're able to get to the inner, then you have the flexibility. As a famous story in the Talmud, Rabbi Hanina ben Daisa, he was so poor that his daughter didn't even have didn't even have uh, oil to light the Shabbat candle. She told the father, we, 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 we ran out of oil, we don't have anything. He says, what's the big deal? What, who says you have to use oil? You can use vinegar. The same God who says that oil could burn will say that vinegar can burn. That's what she did. Vinegar, they had plenty. <laughs> They took the vinegar and they were able to light down a beautiful fire from the vinegar. No one else in the universe could make fire from vinegar. But he was able to make fire from vinegar. Because again, whoever said that oil should burn, the letters of Shemen, which is very rigid and the laws of nature that says that only oil burns and not vinegar. But if you connect it to the inner content, that's within these words. He connected with godliness, connected with the infinite, connected with Hashem. So Hashem could channel the same energy of burning through the letters of, of vinegar, chaymet. That's exactly what happened. And that was the story of Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu, our patriarch, the very first Jew, the first convert, the first Baltruva. Avraham Avinu was thrown into the furnace for his faith and his belief in one God, for smashing all the idols. What happened? A miracle happened. And instead of the fire, which was so hot and so intense that it burned everyone around him, Avram walked around like three days as if he was in the botanical gardens, in the fire, in the heat, trees growing, plucking fruits. He was not affected by the fire. The fire was burning, and everyone else was burned to death. And Avram was walking around as if beautiful, most beautiful day, a walk in the park. So there was fire. There's the laws of nature. Hashem created the laws of nature. Fire burns. And Avram was not burned. was untouched by the fire. Because Avram, through his self-sacrifice, through his devotion, dedication to Hashem, he was plugged into the inner. The infinite. And therefore he's not rigid. Who said fire has to burn? The same fire that's burning while it's burning someone else, Avram, it's a pleasant day in the park. Walk in the park, it's not burning. So this, this is wisdom. Wisdom is greater than prophecy. Because wisdom, the inner aspect of wisdom, it's beyond words. It's flexible. It can be expressed in a thousand different ways. It's not rigid, it's not limited to this way, that way. So many meanings and so many 
you're not, you're not rigid. So a person is under the influence of nature, who lives by nature, and says, this is the way I am, this is my nature, I cannot change. And stops even trying to change. This is who I am, this is what I am. Celebrates, proud of who he is, and celebrates who he is, and refuses to entertain the ability to change, the possibility of change. And fine, you live by nature, you die by nature. If you live in the, if you choose to live in that universe, a world that's rigid and scientific and rigid and unmovable, you live, you play by those rules, you will die by those rules. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But when you connect to Hashem and you refuse to play by the rules of nature, nature is not destiny, genes are not destiny. Tendencies and urges and, and proclivities and, and temptations are not destiny. I can overcome. I can change. I can rise above my nature. I'm plugged in and connected to Hashem, to Godliness, to the infinite, to the Torah and mitzvot. Hashem, who's Torah and mitzvot. Then, nature. What's nature? The words are nothing. What are the words? It's the content. So the content is very flexible. Who says it has to be this way and not that way? And who says it's not rigid? Suddenly there's flexibility. Miracles can happen. The impossible can happen. So that's the idea that Chacham Adaf Minavi. And that's why it is the latter generations. When the era of prophecy came to an end, that we had all these breakthroughs, all these revelations. The Zohar, the Ari, the Baal the Tanya, and all the Rabbeim, our Rebbe. And you see the ability to transform and to change the world. So this is wisdom is superior to prophecy. Instead of just prophesizing the future, you actually create the future. You can literally change the world. When you connect it to Torah and the deepest levels of Torah, the light of Torah, the inner essence of Torah, the way Hashem learns Torah, the way Torah defines itself, not in relationship to the world, but in relationship to Hashem Himself, is infinite. And at that level, the world is completely insignificant and then change is possible then you tap into that dynamic, that inner dynamic, and then you can light up the world. You can illuminate the world. And then the Torah mitzvah that you do is illuminated, has the power to transform the world, and change the world, and usher in Mashiach, usher in when the wellsprings of the Baal Shem, that will be taught and publicized and communicated to the whole world as via lessons in Tanya.com. It's part of the public publicizing, making Hasidus available to each and every one, 24-6. So we have the power to change ourselves and to change the world. So the Alter Rebbe, in his usual cryptic way, is really 
telling us, teaching us something very profound, very powerful, something that's very relevant to us, not just interesting information. He asked a great question. How could the Arizal know more than Moshe Rabbeinu? And he explains, no, Moshe, that was prophecy, that was experience, and that's limited, what could be revealed. And with wisdom, you can attain and achieve a lot higher. You can go to the highest levels. Okay, that's an interesting question, an interesting answer. But how does that pertain to us? How does that light a fire under us? What does that, how does that inspire us? What does, so what? So Moshe Rabbeinu and Baal Shem to prophecy and wisdom. Okay? But in this cryptic way, Alter Rebbe is really lighting a fire under us and he's telling us with wisdom we have the power to change the world. We can access much, much greater levels and therefore we can accomplish a lot more. Even though they prophesized, but we're the ones who are actually going to do it. We're the ones who are actually making it happen. We're not prophets, and yet we are the ones who are making it happen. Everything that they prophesized about is going to happen in our day. Through our behavior, through our actions, through our studying the Torah and doing wisdom. And this is the explanation. Because wisdom is superior than prophecy. We can literally change the world and change ourselves. The power of the wisdom. Chabad. The wisdom of Hasidus, the wellsprings of the Balsham. The secrets and the secrets of the Torah. The core and essence of the Torah. But this is very privileged. We are privileged that we, although we are the midgets that we are, we are privileged that we have, we were given and taught that wisdom. And we, if we ta- use it properly, and we take it and teach it and internalize it and spread it and communicate it, we can literally change the world. Okay, so part two. The episode that follows, beginning the letters that are revealed, is one of the episodes that was appended to the edition of Tanya published in Vilna in the year 5660-1900. These editions being noted by of Asha of Nicolette in his introductory declaration there. The relevance of this episode to the previous one may be found in the following parallel. The previous episode explains how only the Netzachot Yesod Malchot, i.e. the lowest superior of the emanator, extend to the recipient. The conclusion of the present episode likewise explains not only the hindmost aspect and externality of the Netzachod Yesod of the higher realm and, and to the lower one. The letters that are revealed to us exist in action, speech, and thought. Pertaining to the plane of action are the visual forms of the letters in the Assyrian script of Torah. When you uh, speak of words, first you have action. Action is the written letter. It's called the written Torah. Torah is written and scribed by a scribe on in the on the parchment with ink. So you have the actual written letter, and it has to be written precisely and in a certain way, otherwise it's not kosher. So that's the action. The written written is means physically writing. The written word. Physically write it down. That's the action. The very validity 
of the scroll depends on the scrupulous observance of the numerous detailed laws governing the writing of these 22 letters, as is explained in the note to chapter 12 of Sharahaikuhuna. Each letter reflects the flow of a unique life force and spiritual energy. Its distinct shape suggests the form taken by the flow of light and energy revealed in that letter. The letters pertaining to speech are engraved in the breath and voice, which is divided into 22 parts, one different from the other with respect to their form. So the higher form of letters is in speech, words. So yes, you're not writing it, you're moving your lips, but it's, and it's based on the breath and the, the pronunciations are dependent on the different movements of the lips and the tongue and the mouth, which creates a different expressions of the words and letters. I.e. the enunciation and utterance of the 22 letters in any language. Because the truth is, basically these are the sounds. Forget about in all languages, if you break it down, you have the basic sounds. They're all contained in the Hebrew language. B, the bays. So the B and the bays and the B or in every, any language, no matter what you call it, it's the same sound. So you have all the sounds. These are it. There's 22 sounds. There are no more sounds. These are the sounds. You have variations, of the, but ultimately these are the sounds, so, which are divided into 22 different types of sounds. Um, and all languages really are rooted in the same, have the same, come from the same ability of the soul to express itself in, in these different sounds, differentiated sounds. There is no difference between the holy tongue and the other languages with respect to the nature of the letter's enunciation, only with respect to their combination. So he's saying that when it comes to writing the letters, the languages are completely different. Once you write down the letters, a foreign language is like gibberish to you. It's the same sound, but it's, it's, it's a foreign language. You, don't, you can't read. You can't read the signs, you can't read the words, French, Italian, Russian, Chinese. But if you get beyond the action, beyond the written word, if you get to the inner, the speech, let alone the thought, the inner, there, there's no difference one language or another. The sounds are the same. Whatever shape or symbol you have for that sound, whether it's Chinese or French or Russian, doesn't matter. It's the same B sound. You know, it's, whether it's this shape letter or that shape letter. So once you strip away the external, you go a little more internal, all these differentiations in one language and the next fall away. But nevertheless, nevertheless, there's a difference between Hebrew and all other languages. Hebrew is a holy language. Hashem creates the world with the Hebrew language. The shape of the letter, the form of the letter. So he says, yes, the difference between Hebrew and all other languages is not in their enunciation. The sounds are the same in all languages. There's no difference. The difference is the words. You put the words together. You put the sounds together. So if you put the sounds together to make a Hebrew word, it has a Hebrew meaning. 
but the words of a foreign language, a non-Jewish, non-Hebrew language, you put the sounds together and you come out with English, you come out with Chinese, you come out with Japanese, or Korean, or French, or Russian. The end result is not the Hebrew language. You're not getting the words. So it's the combination of the sounds. The combination of the sounds, that's what differentiates, how you combine the sounds and put them together. This is what differentiates between the Hebrew language and all the other languages, even though it's the same sounds. But the different combinations sound gibberish to us because we don't understand. It's a different language. So what's unique is the Hebrew, the way you put the sounds together and you make the Hebrew words, then it's holy. But the origin of all languages are the same sounds. Basic sounds of the 22 letters of the Hebrew language. Because Hashem created the world the Hebrew language. Everything originally comes from Hebrew. The world spoke Hebrew for the first 1948 years, for the first uh, 2,000 years, practically. For the first 1,996 years, the world spoke one language, unified language. It's called Hebrew. You didn't need any old pan. Everyone spoke Hebrew. And then with the Tower of Babel, that's when they were dispersed and they started speaking the 70 languages. But originally, everything originates in Hebrew. That's why all the words, you know, the German philologists, who, anti-Semitic philologists, who could not acknowledge the truth, the simple truth, that all language comes from Hebrew. And they couldn't find an origin of a word, which if you recognize that it comes from Hebrew, it's so obvious, and it's so clear, and it explains it so clearly, they twisted themselves into a pretzel, God forbid, to give Hebrew the respect that it's due, and to admit that Hebrew was the primary language, because that means you have to admit that God created the world and, and the whole story in the Torah is real. So they twisted themselves into a pretzel to try to relegate Hebrew as if it's a non-language, as if it's just a little tiny language or a little tiny tribe. It's irrelevant. But the only explanation for thousands and thousands of words, all languages all across the world, is really Hebrew, including Sanskrit and Eastern languages, the roots, Torah, 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 <laughs> the roots of many of these words could be readily explained if you recognize that it all comes from the Hebrew language. So the origin is really Hebrew. And the Hebrew language is a holy language. And the sounds of all languages also, same sounds as the Hebrew language. But it's how you put the sounds together, how you put the words together, let alone how you write it out. There, that's what differentiates, that's what turns it into a regular secular language that's disconnected from its source and you don't readily see the Hebrew connection. That's how the Shalom Kaddish explains. It says, Tefillin, you should tie the Tefillin in your arms and you should put, it should be, phylactery should be on your head. So, Taitafes, we don't find such a word in the Hebrew language. What is Taitafes? So, Rashi brings quotes in the Talmud the Tat the Katfi means two and Pat in Africa means two because on the head fillin you have four boxes you have four Parshias four scrolls that are in four separate compartments so Tat and Pas is two and two is four and the obvious question is what does it help us that in the language in, in, in Katfi and in Africa it means two, this is Hebrew. 
Torah was not written in African, and Torah was not written in Katvian. Torah was written in Hebrew. We don't find, the question is, we don't find such a Hebrew word. So Rashi answers the fact that this word exists in another language means and all languages originate in Hebrew because that was the universal language for the first 1996 years of creation. So therefore, it must be that this word has an origin in Hebrew. We don't know it, but there is such a word. So Taitafais is a Hebrew word. And that's what it means for, for Parshi is the four, the place in the four compartments. So, so the original sounds, these are the basic human sounds. There are no other sounds. These are, these are it. This is what comprises all language. But when you put the sounds together to make the different words, different combinations of the sounds, and the way you write it down, that's what differentiates Hebrew from all other languages. Hebrew is a holy language, and although all languages originate in Hebrew, but it's a dis- disconnected and distorted, and you don't see the divine origin, you don't see the divine connection. But the fact that the sounds are all the same, it means the more spiritual you get, the more you get, the closer you get to the root of the source, you see the connection. You see the connection. When it comes physical, when it's rigid, it's already spelled out and written, then you don't see the connection. But the sounds itself, it's very much connected to Hebrew. The letters of thought are, again, in any language that a person may think in, the words and letters of that language and its letters, which number 22. Thought is also a form of speech, but you speak to yourself instead of others. So you also speak and also think in, in, in terms of words. You're thinking to yourself. You're thinking with words. If you had no words, it would be impossible for you to think. So you're thinking with words. So again, you're using those 22 letters. You're using letters in order to think. But now he's going to say, going to continue, that even thought, Thought itself, you have three different levels within thought. Till now, he explained the three different levels of action, speech, and thought. Now he's going to say, oh, even within thought itself, you have three different levels. Now in thought, there are three kinds of letters. For when one sees the visual forms of the letters in the Torah scroll, they are pictured in his thought. This is called the action in thought. The manner in which thought envisions the letters of actual handwritten script. In terms of the spiritual worlds of Beria, Yatsira, and Asiya, action in thought relates to the lowest world, Asiya, the world of action. So what's action in thought? When you see, you're reading, and you're seeing the letters. So you're, you're, you're picturing the word, you're picturing the actual written word. When you're picturing the actual written word in your thought, this is the lowest level of thought. It's the action within thought. I'm thinking about the words as they're spelled out, the written word. So that's the action of thought. Then you have the higher level, which is the speech within thought. Likewise, when one hears the letters of speech, they become inscribed in his thought, and he meditates upon them. This is called the speech in thought, thinking about the letters of speech. 
and it relates to you too. So when you hear a lecture or you hear someone speak, you're listening to the words and you're thinking about the words that you heard. Thinking about what you heard, the ideas that were expressed. But you're thinking about the words. You're very much thinking about the words. The ideas were conveyed, contained within the words. So you, you're paying attention to the words. You're repeating the words. You're thinking about the words. You're thinking about what was said. So again, you're thinking in terms of words. So it's a little of a more refined level because it's not the written word. It's the spoken word. You know, it's the difference between seeing and hearing. When you see the written word, you see something physical. You see the the written word. When you hear the spoken word, it's a little more abstract. But again, you're paying attention to the words. You're paying careful attention to what was said, the words. And of course, through the words, the content of the words, but it's through the words. That's the vehicle. So I'm really listening to the words. I'm grasping the words. I'm listening to the words, taking in the words. So they're seeing the words, seeing the written words. That's the action, the action within thought, thinking about the words that I'm reading, when you're reading. And a higher level is when you're listening. So it's more abstract, it's more spiritual. Listening, I'm not seeing anything, I'm listening, I'm listening to words. But again, you're thinking, you're, you're capturing the words, you're thinking about those words that you heard, chewing it over, digesting it, the ideas that are contained within those words. So, so that's already a higher form, that's speech within thought. And then comes the highest form, which is thought within thought. The letters of the word, without any limitation, the letters of speech are called the thought in thought and related area. In general terms, thought, speech, and action correspond to area, Yetzira, and Asiya, respectively. More particularly, action in thought corresponds to Asiya within area, speech in thought to Yetzira within area, and thought in thought to area within area. So then you have the third level. The third level is thought within thought. In other words, when you're lost in thought, you barely notice the words. You're not even really paying attention to the words. You're really paying attention to the content. Of course, you can't think without words. But I'm not stuck in the words. I'm really absorbed within the thought. I'm lost in thought. So yes, there are words there, but I don't even notice the words. I don't even notice it myself, but there are words. Of course there are words, but I'm not. I'm really absorbed within the content, the idea. that's really beyond words. So that's thought within thought. So first he explained there are three levels, thought, speech, and action, which correspond to the three worlds which are like the garments, the world of creation, which is thought, the world of formation, which is speech, the world of action, which is um, asiya, the world of action. 
Then he's saying, even in the world of thought, you can also break it down to three levels. There's the action of thought, there's the speech and thought, and then there's the thought of thought. And now he's going to say that the level of speech, the level of actual speech, where is it rooted in? The level of speech is rooted in the level of speech within thought. It's a revelation. Speech is a revelation. But it's revealing something that was hidden. It's revealing something that's going on inside. So it's revealing the level of speech within thought. Because the level of speech within thought, you already have words, you already have letters. And therefore those are the words and letters that you're speaking with, that you're, you're communicating with. The level of thought within thought, it's beyond words. You don't even have it in words yet. You can't just speak. I, I, I haven't formulated it. Before you open your mouth, you're going to think about what you're going to say. You have to formulate it, you have to articulate it, you have to put it into words, you have to find the right words, you have to be able to say it, it has to make sense. You can't just, you can't just be a stream of consciousness. A stream. You have to say something coherent. So that's already words, the way they're formulated, the way they're... And then when you think it through and they're formulated and you hear it, then I can communicate. Before a person speaks, the Talmud says Rabbi Kiva would prepare four times for himself. For himself, he would like, in a way, say it to himself. It's like speech within thought, within his own thought. He's giving a speech and listening to himself. How does it sound? Does it sound right? Does it sound correct? Does the words make sense? Is it clear? Is it coherent? And he would repeat it four times to himself to make sure that it's presentable. You don't just open your mouth and speak. You have to you have to say something that makes sense. You don't want to make a fool of yourself. They say, a fool, you don't know that he's a fool until he opens his mouth. So a person reveals, when you speak, you're revealing. Before you reveal, you want to make sure that you're intelligent and coherent and you're saying something that's sensible, communicating. So first you have to formulate those words within yourself. You have to listen to yourself. That's the level of speech within thought. You're speaking to yourself. You're paying attention to the words. It's only when you start paying attention to the words in your thoughts, you're paying attention in your mind, you're paying attention to the words, it's only then that you can actually go ahead and speak. And then, of course, you can write. But you can't have speech. When you just have the level of thought of thoughts, you don't have words yet. You don't even notice the words. You haven't formulated the words. You haven't articulated it. It's too raw. I can't communicate it. So revelation, which is the actual speech, which is the revelation. You're speaking, you're communicating. The revelation comes from within yourself, comes from the external level within yourself. From you, within yourself, within your own thoughts, the level of speech within thought. But not the innermost level. The innermost level, thought within thought, that I can't communicate. And that I can't reveal. That's beyond revelation. So the whole world of words and revelation and structure and, and our whole universe is based on words. The world was created with words. Everything is based on words. 
That's all the external level. And the Torah was revealed to us, the written word. And Hashem spoke. And through the prophets, Hashem spoke to the prophets. It's all with words. It's our whole universe and all the revelations within the universe and the ultimate revelation, revelation of godliness, of prophecy. It's words, but words, revelation by definition is only the external level. The level of speech within thought. But the innermost level, level of thought within thought, that's beyond words. That can't be communicated. I don't even notice the words within myself. And therefore, when you connect to the innermost aspect, the level of thought within thought, which is the level of wisdom, which is superior to prophecy, because with wisdom I can access the level of thought within thought, the innermost level, then I can do anything. Flexibility. I can change. I can transform. I can radically change. I can radically transform. Miraculously change. Revolutionize. I'm not rigid. I'm not stuck. There's hope. There's faith. There's optimism. There's belief. Change is not only possible, but change is inevitable, and change for the good is inevitable, and change for good and forever is inevitable. It's tapping into that energy that we can actually turn Mashiach into reality. By connecting to the level of thought within thought, the innermost divine, the infinite, the light of Torah, the innermost aspect of Torah, the Hasidus, the wellspring. Even though we don't have the era of prophecy today, don't think that we're orphaned and we're abandoned. And we have to realize the divine plan. Hashem took away prophecy, but instead He gave us wisdom. And with wisdom, we can change the whole world upside down. So, this is a very Hasidic insight, a very deep, profound insight into understanding the times that we live in, understanding possibilities that were given to us, what's expected of us. Instead of being disheartened by the overwhelming darkness and by the disconnect, we don't have the error of prophecy, we don't have that window to heaven, we don't have we don't hear those heavenly voices. We don't have those uh, appearances of, by the angels. And we don't have those heavenly appearances and by the guides, the spiritual guides. And we can't even access. We don't even have those heavenly uh, dreams and, and divine inspiration. We don't have it. So you could be discouraged. We're midgets. How could we compare? They couldn't bring Mashiach. How could we bring Mashiach? Let's be honest. Who are we kidding? We, the spiritual midgets, we're going to bring Mashiach? We can't even access the lowest level of spirituality. Barely. Things that were par for the course for our ancestors. Divine inspiration, revelations, spiritual experiences, heavenly experiences. And yet, 
to us. These are all mysteries beyond us. And yet we have the ability to close the deal and to, to make it into a reality, turn this world into a godly world, revolutionize this world, transform this world, its very core and essence, transform ourselves, change ourselves. In the year 2015, in the Upper East Side, this letter tells us, yes, you better believe it. Wisdom is superior than prophecy. Hashem gave us that ability. Now the letters of actual speech come into being and receive their life force from those very same letters that are in thought. Though sometimes a person may speak of one thing while thinking of another, this would tend to indicate that the letters of speech do not receive their life force from the letters of thought. How could you say that the letters of speech get the life force from thought? We see all the time. A person could speak, and meanwhile, your mind, you're thinking of ten other things. While you're speaking, your mind is elsewhere. So, so the letters are almost the words that you speak seem to be automatic. It's not like coming from, from the thought, the level of thought. Such an instance, he can speak only such words and combinations that he has already spoken previously and that were in his thought a great many so that's the answer. Of course they come from within. Of course they come from the letters of thought, from the speech of thought. You may not be paying attention right now, but the words are prepared words, are words that you've spoken many times, you've thought about many times, you're expressing yourself. So maybe now I can, I can tie my shoes and uh, I can chew gum and tie my shoes at the same time. So I'm speaking while my mind is thinking of other things. But you're speaking words that you once thought about words that you articulated, that you thought about, that, that expressed you. Thus, in those words and combinations, there remains the message of the thought that entered into them many times. So this serves as the life force of the letters of the speech. And this, in terms of the zero, is the hindmost aspect. And the externality of the mesoclosed of the visage of the higher realm that enters into the lower one, serving it as the intellective faculty of multiple so we say the most external level of the teacher becomes the internal level and the, orig the origin and the starting point for the student. So the speech of thought, which is the external level, it's not the th thought of thought, it's the speech of thought, that becomes the life force and the vitality and that's what animates the level of speech. Because it's the words that you already formulated and you thought about and you spoke spoken to yourself. Those are the words that you reveal and communicate with. Prophecy is a revelation. Any revelation is only the external level. And even the root and the source of that revelation is also the external level. So it's the external level of chakma that comes down to the understanding and comprehension. It's the external level of being of comprehension that comes down to the world of emotions. It's the external level of emotions that come down into the into the expressions of the emotions, into the Netzach and the Hoyd and Yesod, which comes down into the speech which is revealed. That's the level of prophecy. That was the level of Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy. Gemara talks about two rabbis who knew Kabbalah so well every, every year of Shabbos they would create a kip to eat at the literal level, I guess. So if they had this power, why did they stop there? Meaning, if, if, you can take, if you can take knowledge and change the world, why were they satisfied with just creating dinner? 
it's easy to change a calf, but to change a person takes a, little, takes a lot more than Kabbalah. <laughs> to, <change laughs> to make animals, to change animals, Kabbalah could do wonders, but to change a person, that you need Hasidus. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. That's, that's, that's the easy part. <laughs> Creating people, making people, oh, that's, that's, that's a little more difficult. <laughs> Maimonides says that before Mashiach comes, the error of prophecy will return. Prophecy will return to the Jewish people. And in the same breath, Maimonides says he has a something he's received from his family all the way back to King David and all the way back from earlier, he gives a date when the prophecy will return, which is basically around his, in his lifetime, sometime in his lifetime, around his lifetime. Whereas Maimonides really believed that he was the end of an era, that Mashiach will actually come, and he himself descended from King David. So he may have believed that he may have been, uh, he may have also been the real Mashiach, but uh, Maimonides was an end of an era. The students of the Arizal were sure that he was Mashiach, because he was the end of an era. He was the end, the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived. He was like the Einstein of Kabbalah. Was, when that came to an end, they were certain, this is it. This is... But then each successive revelation brought the next level. After the Maimonides, then we had the Kabbalah. And after the Arizal, we had the Baal But now that we had the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid and the Alter Rebbe and the Seven Rebbe's and our Rebbe, um, we are at the conclusion of an era. This is it. This is, this is the time the Mashiach actually has to come, will come. And um, this is the time, it says, when prophecy will return and, and um, even the scientists in the labs are coming back to a lot of the mystical truths, a lot of the deepest truths of the Torah. Modern physics is beginning to sound more and more like the Kabbalah. They're talking about ten-stringed reality and dimensions, everything that the Kabbalah talks about in the Zohar, which anticipated all of this, relativity and quantum mechanics, all this has been anticipated thousands of years ago in the Kabbalah. And only now scientists are beginning to understand the depth of what the Kabbalah is and talking about the real structure of the universe, the metaphysical structure of the universe, the real reality. And they have such a respect today for Kabbalah. So now the whole world, all roads are leading to Jerusalem. Even the scientists in the laboratory is coming to Hashem, is coming to the truth, is coming to the understanding of reality from, from a Jewish point of view, from the ultimate point of view, from the inside out. So... so um, this is the time, it says, when Kabbalah will return and mysticism will return and, and the world will be flooded with the knowledge of Hashem, like the oceans fill the ocean bed. And that's the characterization of Mashiach. And, then, and the main occupation of Jew as well as non-Jew will be solely and exclusively the pursuit of knowledge of Hashem, to know Hashem to the maximum it's humanly possible. And, um, and that will permeate our whole being and our whole existence. So all of that is unfolding and all of that is happening as we speak before our very eyes. And, uh, but the point is that we're not just passive observers, 
passerbys and rooting for the home team and buying a backseat office and wearing a mug in David and rooting for the home team, even buying a ticket. But we are active players. We are, we are making it happen. We are facilitating it, fast-forwarding it. We have our hands on the wheel. We are in the engine room. So we're in the ninth inning. All the bases are loaded, but we are being called up to give the next, next pitch. And each and every one of us has the ability to hit that home run by doing that extra mitzvah, that extra good deed, and thought, speech, or action. So this is a call for action. Wisdom is superior than prophecy. Don't just prophesize the future. Make the future happen. How do you justify the barbarian acts of ISIS and what you see going on right now if, if Mashiach is pending? Shouldn't the world be starting to get ready? And, and on the other hand, it seems that these are the most barbaric times that we've experienced in our lifetime, well, aside from the Holocaust. Well, the difference is uh, even the Arabs are repulsed by this barbarity. In the last war between Israel, which is a year ago, Israel and Hamas, the biggest supporters of Israel, more so than the United States, was Saudi Arabia and Egypt. This president was pushing very hard that Israel should cave in and give in and make peace with Hamas, and he tried to get Turkey to mediate and, and Qatar, which are the biggest bankrollers and the biggest, most extreme fundamentalists, treating Hamas with kid gloves. And it was only Saudi Arabia and Egypt that came down very hard and said, absolutely not. Wipe out these, wipe them out. They, they don't want to tolerate any of this. And they're standing up to Iran, and they're, they, they, they don't want to, so they, they've had it. People are repulsed. So the fact they've fallen to such a low that even the Arab world is, is, is shaking themselves off and saying, we, don't, we have nothing to do with this. This is crazy. This is absurd. It's only our president that's supporting Iran and bankrolling them and giving them $150 billion and paving the path to a nuclear weapon without giving them respectability, without demanding any change in behavior, not even the minimal to release four Americans, innocent Americans who are languishing in the prisons. They didn't even have the decency to ask and to demand the release. Giving them $150 billion, you would think, maybe, maybe, maybe get something for it. God forbid, we should ask. we're not asking you anything. Don't change your, beha- your murderous behavior. Don't change your immorality. Don't change your murderous terrorism way. Not only don't we, we ask you to change, not expecting you to change, we're going to give you $150 million as a bonus, as a down payment, close to a trillion dollars when this is all said and done. And we're giving you respectability. Oh, it's open season on Jews. You can criticize us, you can malign us, you can insult us, you can humiliate us, you can accuse us. But he's busy writing love letters to Khomeini, not a single word of criticism to the worst criminals walking the face of the earth today. But, you know, this is this repulsive behavior, and people are repulsed by this behavior. People are just exposed. They're just exposing. They're showing the true colors, what low lives they are. And we've reached such a low 
that's completely amoral. There's no morality. There's no truth. There's no honesty. There's no integrity. There's no respectability. There's no emmas. It's the it's a jungle. So people of conscience from all from right, left, Democrats, Republican, Arabs and Jews, everyone is repulsed by all of this nonsense. And they, they see it for what it is. So in a way, it's very healthy. When evil is exposed and it shows its true face and its true colors, it's good. Because then it's, it's ready to go to the dustbin of history. It's finished. It's the last Torah. It's not being condoned. Like no, it's the last Torah. This is it. It's the last Torah. The, the, this is what evil has come to. Okay, this, this, is, this is very... So, we have to be strong. If you read history correctly, if you understand the times that we're living in, Evil is on the ropes. We've won. In a masterly stroke, this president has snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. We basically won, and he's... But, but it's a failed program. And a failed president, and a failed program completely misunderstands the times we're living in, completely misread history, repeating the worst mistakes of history, and it, it's much worse. Could you imagine Chamberlain, if the Nazis would be marching in Berlin, death to the United Kingdom? You think Chamberlain would sign a treaty with them? Here they're marching, we all saw it on TV, their leaders are there with tens of thousands, the top echelons of the country, chanting on the top of their lungs, death to the USA. And we're signing a treaty with them and giving them $150 billion and not asking them to change one iota, not even to release, they didn't have the decency to ask to release those four innocent Americans. We're giving them respectability, power. This is, it's it's mind-boggling. But when evil becomes so egregious, and so ridiculous and so absurd, then, then you know it's the end. So, so instead of being discouraged, I think we should be very encouraged. Because everyone is showing the true colors. The Iranian treaty is an issue which you can't straddle the fence. You can't fudge. You can't say, I didn't know, I wasn't sure, I don't know. You know, you're sure, it's very clear. If you have an ounce of morality in you, if you have an ounce of decency in you, if you have an ounce of genuineness, an ounce of humility, an ounce of truth, an ounce of connection to Hashem. Any five-year-old child sees how the emperor has no clothes. But if he's so morally obfuscated and confused and you don't know up from down and right from left and completely amoral, yeah, because then you can endorse this most dangerous, reckless tree. So in a way, it's very healthy. So that means that the body is very healthy, the organism. The world is starting to reject, to see it for what it is. And evil is exposing it. Till now it was hiding. And now you, can, you can't pretend anymore. It's very clear. ISIS, I mean, it's very clear. How can any, I mean, so it's very clear. When things are crystal clear and so black and white and so clear, it's a healthy thing. It's a very good thing. The outcome will be the total triumph of goodness 
godliness. Jerusalem over Athens. Truth over lies. Goodness over evil. We just have to be strong. We just have to be strong. We're, we're the last yards before the peak of Mount Everest. Many people have cl- climbed the mountain. And right before they reached the top, they gave up. They just, they just lost the energy, lost the strength. They didn't have the strength to cross to the finishing line. We are at the finishing line. We just have to be strong. Just across the finishing line. Now is not the time to give up. Now is not the time to be discouraged. We just have to hold on, confident in the Rebbe's message that we are literally at the threshold. Any moment, Mashiach is going to open the door and he's going to walk through the door. In the next class, you won't have to wait till October. The next class will be given by the Alter Rebbe himself. And you won't have to hear anyone hacking in China anymore. You'll hear the real Prat. But whoever sat and learned Tanya in Golis will have the merit to be at the table. And the Alter Rebbe teaches Tanya. They're going to be right there in the table sitting and listening and learning from the Alter Rebbe himself. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.